I have a message on my heart today called, I Sought the Lord. And it's a very, very easy and very simple word. I had, uh, was in, in Africa, I was preaching at a couple of different churches and I had on my heart to preach about the secret place. And so when Stephen, uh, I was, just before I went, I went and sat with Stephen and ran through his message and I was like, man, I said, Stephen, can you send me some of that? Because I, I was going to preach on here. So I, so I stole some of Stephen's message from preaching in Africa. And then when I, I, I'd spoken with Jenny about what she was doing, I was like, oh, that, that's really good. Um, but it was really in line with what I was feeling for the longest time in my heart. And when I, when I came to this message, I was a couple of weeks back, I said, Lord, what do you want to say on today? And I felt very clearly he, he spoke to me about this verse uh, and a particular verse in the Psalms. And I, and I thought, wow, that's, that's very great. That's very simple. What I really believe with all my heart is that there is, for some reason, and I don't, and I don't know the answer to this, for some reason in the calendar of God, today is a significant day. And I believe that many people in this meeting are going to mark a distinct change. Something happened a, a, a trajectory change happened this morning, not because of the profundity of the message, but because of God's hand is going to come upon some people, because God has set it up in his heart that today is a, is a day of great change. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. And I'm completely free of having to dazzle you with, with a, a whiz-bang message because I think that the beauty of it is actually going to be in the simplicity of the message, not in its profundity, and that the real power of what goes on in the next half an hour is going to be what happens in your heart between your response to the Lord and what He has come to do. So I'm, I'm really jazzed about this morning, to be honest. I really feel like there's destiny on the meeting. And so, enjoy. <laughs> um, I, I want to pick up uh, a scripture in Psalm, uh, sorry, in 1 Samuel 21. It's a, it's a story about David. David <clears throat> has done nothing wrong. He's only ever blessed Saul. He, uh, he was a little shepherd boy. He was out there worshiping the Lord. And somebody came running up and said, hey, your dad says you're going to come in. And he goes, why? He doesn't usually want you. He goes, dad, I don't know. They're waiting. The prophets at your house. And they're not going to eat until you come. And so David runs and he gets there a little bit sweaty and a little bit flustered. And he goes in and, and, and uh, there is the great prophet. Samuel and Samuel says, "That's the guy." And he takes he takes a horn of oil, which is about a gallon of oil, and just pours it on top of David. Glug glug glug, and it's just dripping. So now he's sweaty and oily. And Samuel begins to prophesy of him, "You're going to be the next king of Israel." And his family are a little bit shocked because Saul is the king, and how can you? And uh, and but they don't like David too much. Honestly, there was a little thing with the family of David and David. And David wrote another psalm. And he said, even though my mother and father reject me, the Lord will still keep me. You know? So there was a thing going on there. And why is David the only one who's not at home? They kicked him out to go and shepherd and all the other brothers are at home. There's a thing. And anyway, so David gets anointed in front of his brothers and then his father sends him to go take some food to his brothers and he encounters Goliath and he, he kills Goliath. And he's only about 16 at the time and Saul takes him into his service and now he's gone from a little shepherd boy who's unknown to the kind of the, the, the guy who serves the king. And every time a demon comes on Saul, they call David and he just begins to worship and the, the demon leaves Saul. And uh, so 
Saul kind of likes David, so he makes him the commander of a thousand men, which is a very high rank in the, in the military of those days. And he, uh, David is everything he does. God just breathes life on, and it's successful. And David is just rising, and everybody's celebrating him, and they're singing songs about him. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul starts to become jealous of David. So he devises a plan. He says, okay, I'll tell you what. Because he hears that his second daughter, Michael, is in love with David. He goes, this is great. I'm going to make David so onerous to the Philistines. And I'm going I'm to make the Philistines kill him. So he says, David, all I need from you is, uh, is I need you know, the, the foreskins of a couple of hundred guys. So let's go kill some Philistines and... and uh, and uh, so that's what David does. He goes and kills 200 guys, and that's his bridal price. And uh, he marries Michael. And then Saul gets increasingly unnerved by David's popularity. David continues to be brilliantly successful. The nation is falling in love with him. Saul is consumed by jealousy. And now he starts to literally hound David to take his life. David is on the run. And David bounces around, Saul chases him. Everywhere he hears, there's a whisper of David. And David goes back to the priests at Nob. It's a, it's a place where, right near where the battle he had taken place with Goliath. And Saul goes to them, because I mean, David goes to them because he's running away from Saul. He hasn't even had time to pack. And he has no food. And he says, is there any food here? And they say, yeah, the only food we have is the, the, the showbread, which we've kept in the presence of the Lord for, for this uh, last week and, and that's just come out and you can have that but usually only priests were allowed to eat that and David and his companions quickly eat that and he says do you have any weapons here and they said the only weapon we've got is the sword of Goliath that you killed David said brilliant that's, there's no better sword because it was a big shiny sword and so David now puts the sword of Goliath on but the sword of Goliath is sort of in the dust and it's this high you, it's not inconspicuous and David, while he's there, he looks up and there's a guy called Dog, and he's an Edomite, and he's looking at David funny. And David realizes, the moment I'm out of here, he's going to tell Saul. And uh, so David leaves, and that's what happens. Dog goes and reports to Saul. Saul comes, asks, and, and asks all those priests, but he's so consumed by his own envy that he has all those priests murdered because they helped David. But they didn't help David. David lied to them and said, I'm on the Saul's business. That's why they helped him. And David wrote a psalm about Dog the Edomite, about what God was going to do to him. Anyway, so I'm just, that's the background. David's in a harassed place. He's not feeling happy. He's, he's desperate. He's run everywhere across Israel. Saul has hounded him and chased him. And so David is standing there and he realizes, I can't go anywhere in Israel because anywhere under the domain of Saul, I am going to be the enemy and I am going to be hunted. I am going to be hunted and I am going to be killed. So David decides, okay, I'm going to go to the Philistines. And let me pick up the story in Samuel 21 from verse 10. That day David fled from Saul and went to Ashish, king of Gath. But the servants of Ashish said to him, Isn't this David the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Ashish, the king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence 
And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate, letting saliva run down his beard. And Ashish said to his servants, look at the man. He's insane. Why do you bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you must have him bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? Now there is some unsubstantiated rumor that Ashish's wife had had epileptic fits, and so he was a little bit nervous of people having fits in his household. And so when they when they brought David in, he goes like, "I'm I'm I'm, I don't need any more. Just take him away." Now. The question is, I, I want to ask you if you've ever been unfairly hounded. Not because of anything you've done wrong, but only because you've ever done things right. You're being persecuted not because you did evil, but because evil people around you don't like you doing good. Yeah. And it's got people hating you and plotting your demise. And there are people around you that seek to do you harm people you've never met who are eager to betray you or to lie about you and not just kick you while you're down, but actually use your destruction as a stepping stone for their promotion as Doug did. So you compromise. For, for the sake of peace, you, you go to the enemy hoping that they'll overlook the lifetime of war that you've had with them and be delighted in your defection. You change your fundamental nature. You lead those who are still barely willing to follow you or have anything to do with you right into the middle of a trap. And David is tired into the marrow of his bones. He's exhausted from being hounded, emotionally spent from losing all his support and all his family and all his friends. And now he's gone from the frying pan into the fire. He walks into Gath. Which, which is the city that Goliath was the champion of. And he's wearing the sword of Goliath. And he reminds everybody by that that he is the guy who killed the champion. And that he's the one who killed tens of thousands of their men. And when David kind of walks in, he had a picture in his head about how this was going to go down. And then while he's in the middle of Gath, and he's seeing all the widows of Gath going, he killed my husband. Um, uh, suddenly the reality in front of him pops the bubble of what he had in his head about how this was going to go down. And the Bible says he's very, very afraid. Because he'd killed 200 men for his wedding. And the interesting thing about this narrative in Samuel is that it doesn't assign any blame. It doesn't say, look, David is really messing up. It doesn't say he's backslidden. It doesn't point to the finer aspects of the law. It's not focused on his multiple mistakes or his character weaknesses on display. It doesn't do any of that. It just tells the story about what happened. Because God is the God, who the Bible says, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And I'm so glad that that's who he is. Because we often imagine God is the God who won't give anything until he's finished finding fault. But if God answered prayers in that manner, can I just say nobody in this room would get any prayers answered? There's about three of you who believe that. <laughs> David's in a bind, half of which he helped tie. And he's afraid. He's not just merely a little bit scared. He's very, very afraid, the Bible says. Now, 
Here's the time where you cue the music and swell the victorious tune because David is about to change everything, right? Well, David, in this moment of absolute abject fear, has nothing left. He, he can't go to friends. He can't find family. He has no army with him. He has no uh, leg to stand on. He has no argument to make. He is at their mercy in their stronghold. And uh, there is nothing redeeming about his story. There's nothing he can do. There's nothing he can appeal to. And so what he does is he turns to the Lord with his whole heart. And he cries out to God. And he seeks the Lord. And we know this because he wrote two psalms about it. He just decided, I have nowhere else to go. I'm going to seek the Lord with my whole heart. And he gets, lets go of any other plan and to escape or anything to do. So let me read you the two psalms that David wrote at this time. Psalm 56 of David a Miktam when the Philistines had seized him in Gath. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. And in their pride, many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Stop. The question is not if you will get afraid. You are going to be afraid. If you're sane and you live in this world, you will be afraid at some stage in your life. You will hit events that you go, man, that's scary. You will face circumstances that stir up anxiety and stress and concern and fear in you. It's not if you are going to be afraid, it's when you are afraid, what do you do in that moment? It's almost like people expect that they'll never have to be afraid. So when they get afraid, they're going, what's God doing? Nothing. You're living in a world that's at enmity with God. And this is going to be the reality for everybody. It's got nothing to do. It speaks nothing about the favor of God on your life or about how well you have behaved or, or how God's going to bless your life. It only speaks to the reality of this world that we live in. You are going to encounter circumstances that you are going to feel fear in. And there's nothing to do with God's favor or disfavor. It's got to do with the life we live. So David says, when I am afraid, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my trust in God. Because when you get afraid, when I get afraid, I put my trust somewhere. I'm afraid. I, have, I don't have enough money. A master card. It's going to help. I put my trust somewhere. And David says, when I am afraid, I have to be very careful and diligent. I put my trust in the Lord. And I just want to say, there's a message. I hope it resonates. I hope it's already resonating across the room. When you're afraid, this is what you should do. Put your trust in the Lord. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The second Psalm David wrote about this time was Psalms 34. It says, of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech. Abimelech is, is, the, is like Pharaoh in Egypt. It was called Pharaoh. It was the, was the title. It was like the king. The, the king's name was Ashish. And here he's called Abimelech. And people go, oh, no, well, he's, he's King Ashish. Abimelech Ashish. He, Abimelech was the title of the king of Gath. And so when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. This is what he says, verse 4. It's a fascinating psalm. Can I just suggest, if anybody's looking for a psalm to meditate on for the next two weeks, Psalm 34 is the one. 
I sought the Lord. And he answered me. And delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. For this poor man called. And the Lord heard him. And saved him out of all his troubles. So I just want to say number one. David said, I sought the Lord. I was in all sorts of mess. I was in desperate straits. I I, I had no help. There was no hope. And what I did was, I just sought the Lord. And David turns to the Lord. That's what he said, verse 4. I sought the Lord. He heard me and he delivered me. There's an almost universal encouragement in the Scriptures everywhere you look to seek the Lord when you're in trouble. This is not in a vacuum. There are many, many moments in Israel's history that demonstrate this reality. Troubles in life will come. And sometimes the intricacies of the plots against us are stronger than we are. There are forces beyond what we can see. There are discussions beyond what we're privy to. There are things that your eye won't see, spiritual enemies that are plotting against us. And you go, what can I do against these? Well, we seek the Lord when we hit that moment. And I tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, there are people in this meeting who need to hear this message. You're in a stage right now where the best possible thing you could do with your whole life is to turn your whole heart to seeking God right now. In the next week, there are some people in this room, I'm telling you by the authority of what I know to be true, is that there are some people here that just need to turn your heart and say, God, I'm gonna seek you flat out with my whole heart. Destinies are gonna change this week. Out of this thing, I'm telling you. Because when, when I'm in trouble, when I'm in very, very afraid, I need to seek the Lord. David said, I sought the Lord. More than a casual prayer. This is coming with your whole heart. This is wide open in full expression. God, I need your help. There's a bunch of scriptures. Let me show you. Exodus 14, they were very afraid. So the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Psalm 56, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Psalm 3, I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard. Psalm 18, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to God for help. Psalm 107, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distresses. There are so many. This is everywhere, all over. This is the basic principle. You are going to hit these moments. And when you hit these moments, what you do is important. And so you turn with your whole heart to God, here I am. And you don't have to be pretty and it doesn't have to be well modulated. It just has to be real. It has to be honest and with your whole heart. Because he said, you will search for me and you'll find me when you search with your whole heart. David said, I sought the Lord. Can I just say this? There's a pretty much a wholesale lack of seeking God on this kind of scale in the church. The Bible says God looks down to see if there are any who understand, if there's any who seek Him. Because if you believe God exists and He rewards diligent seekers, if you, that's the basis of faith, right? Hebrews eleven six. Anyone who comes to God must believe He exists, He rewards seekers. And if you believe that, well, then that should motivate you. That faith motivates you to seek. So God looks down and goes, I can see the people who believe. It's not hard. The people who are seeking believe. People who don't, aren't. 
Because that song starts with a fool says in his heart, there is no God. And if you don't believe there's a God or you don't believe he, he rewards diligent seekers, well, then you don't spend any time trying to seek him out or call out to him. So God looks down from heaven to see if there are any who understand. And it's relatively easy. Oh, yeah, look at them. Who are the people who have faith? People who are seeking. If anyone's in trouble or in desperate fear or in panic or anxiety, this is what David said. I, I sought the Lord. So Psalm 56, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And Psalm 34, I sought the Lord and he answered me. One of David's contemporaries was a prophet, Asaph, and he, he was a psalmist and he served with David as a worship leader. <clears throat> and he wrote about this thing as well. He said, there's a spiritual truth that's so obvious to those who are close to the Lord and, and it's is kind of hidden from those who are far away from the Lord that God responds to those who call out to Him and who seek Him. And if you're facing fears or troubles or enemies or circumstances beyond your ability to deal with, have I got great news for you. You have a God who's watching you. His eyes are on you and his ears are open to you. He's waiting for you to cry. Listen to what Asaph says, Psalm 50. Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. I like that. Okay, okay. Day of trouble? Okay, good. Here's how it works. You call on me. I'll deliver you. You say thank you. That's the plan? Not that complicated. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. You will honor me. Seems like a fair trade. Some people in the meeting, the next week is wide open. And it's a choice you make and I'm going to make to come seek with my whole. I sought the Lord, David said, and he heard me. Yes, he heard me. 1 John 5. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. That's pretty sweet. Stop and think about that. If we ask anything in accordance with his will, he hears us. Well, how, how do I know the will of God? God's will is loving and good and faithful and true because that's who he is. He cannot be tempted by evil. He isn't bent by temptation. He doesn't change like shifting shadows. He remains the same. Faithful and beautiful and full of love, that's our God. He is immutable. He does not change. 
He will always be who he is. And everything that he said about himself in the scriptures will remain eternally true. And you can take it to the bank. You can lean on it. You can trust it. And you can expect him to be who he said he was going to be. And so the Bible says, well, if we ask anything according to his will. Well, I don't know if, if, if my marriage being healed is according to his will. Of course it is. I don't know if the protection of my children is according to his will. Of course it is. I don't know if provision for me and my family. Of course it is. Verse 15. And we know that if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, then we know that we have what we've asked of him. Similar to the teaching of Jesus in Mark 11, Jesus curses the fig tree because there's no figs on it and shrivels and dies. And they come past the next morning and Peter goes, wow, that fig tree is just withered. And Jesus said, have the faith of God. Most of the translations the, the literal translation says, have the faith of God. A couple of newer translators freaked them out. Go have faith in God. Because they couldn't, they couldn't believe that, that the original said, have the faith of God. But Jesus said, if you have the faith of God, if God give you a gift of faith, if you have the faith of God, you can tell this mountain to jump up and pirouette and dance and then bounce into the sea and it'll do exactly what you say. Because you have no doubt in your heart. And when God gives you a gift of faith, you can command. Have the faith of God. Therefore I say to you, verse 24, whatever things you ask for when you pray, believe that you have received them and you will have them. Some people think I wrote that into the Bible. I didn't write that. That's in red in your Bible if you have a red Bible. Jesus is saying this. Okay, just to get everyone's attention. Because people go, oh, now we're getting into the faith boys. No, we're not. This is Jesus. Jesus said, I say to you, listen in, guys. Whatever you ask for when you pray, believe that you have them. And then they will be yours. Thirdly, his answers will deliver me from my fears. I sought the Lord, he heard me, and he delivered me. And it's astounding to me, this idea that God, the, the glorious God who made the universe, will listen to me, listen to you. Psalm 40, this is great. It's a great passage where he said, I waited patiently for the Lord, David said, and he turned to me. And he listened. This is profound to me. That the God of the universe, when you come and cry out to him, his, his ears are attentive to your cry. And his eyes are on you. And this is what David says a little later in this verse. He says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. 
And Peter picks up on that and he quotes it again in the New Testament just in case you go, oh, no, that's an Old Testament thing. Peter says, they must turn from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. God has turned his undivided attention to those who are washed in the blood of his son and covered by Jesus Christ. And when you come into the presence of God, washed in his blood, submerged into Jesus Christ and you ask in Jesus' name, God's ears are attentive to your cry and he's eyes are on you because you are the righteousness of God in Christ and you are highly favored in his household. That's what the Bible says. So the God of the universe is giving you his attention, looking lovingly at you. What do you want to say to him? Now that he's turned his heart and his face towards you. I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and he heard my cry. What is your cry? What's on your heart? Don't start telling me, Greg, you don't understand. I've really messed up. Join, you think you're worse than David? David is acting like a complete idiot. He's literally drooling on his beard and banging his head on the wall. It's not his finest hour. David's so scared he's doing idiotic things to get away from his fears. But in that moment, he said, I turned to the Lord. I sought the Lord. I sought him with all my heart. I cried. And he heard me. And he delivered me. From that moment onwards, David's life is different. There's a trajectory change that's in the room. There's an offer in the spirit over this room. And it comes from people like you and I just with our whole heart. I sought the Lord and He heard me and He delivered me. And the prayer, that cry doesn't need to come from somebody perfect in every way or It just needs to come with an honest heart. God, I need your help. I need my life to change. I need your wisdom. God, watch over my children. God, help me with my finances. God, heal my body. God, bring my family back together again. the anointing. Right now in the room. As people have already begun to intercede. Just already just crying out to God. So I'm going to close with this. I'm going to invite us all. Just in the next two, three minutes. If you could imagine like David said, I, I waited patiently for the Lord and then he turned to me. The God of the universe turned. And he looked at me. And he leaned in to listen. Why don't you just take a few minutes, just in the quietness of your own heart, and cry to him. Let's take that moment now.